0: Well, hello there. Happy Tuesday. And welcome to another episode of Endeavors. I'm so excited on the show today. Horror and cult film icon, the godfather of independent film, Bill Oberst Jr. That's all coming up on Endeavors. You are listening to Endeavors Radio with your host from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Dan McKee. How is everybody doing? The world is slowly getting back to normal. But if you ask my guest today what normal is, he will tell you there's probably no such thing and that he doesn't really care. But there are few actors quite like Bill Oberst Jr. Long recognized for his performances in horror and cult films. He achieved greater and wider recognition after he did Take This Lollipop. It's an online interactive film that used the Facebook Connect application to bring viewers themselves into the film. The project received multiple Webby Award nominations, three awards at South by Southwest, and a 2012 Daytime Emmy Award. But Bill is so much more than that film. Uh, He has appeared in episodes of my favorite, one of my favorite TV shows, Criminal Minds, as well as 1,000 Ways to Die, Death Valley, and of course, the great, great horror films Three from Hell. Scary or Die. He played Abraham Lincoln in Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies. Ditch Day. He's also appeared in Scream Queens and Death Valley. Uh, Last week, you may remember, I talked with Marshall Hilton. Uh, Marshall and Bill are also uh, going to be in an upcoming uh, film together entitled Blood Angel. But Bill has about 20 plus projects in various stages of production. And the one he sort of mainly came on to promote was this film called Great Land, which is in post right now, but the trailer has been released, and it's one of the oddest yet most brilliant things I've ever seen, and it it was shot in 2018, but it takes place during a deadly virus pandemic, as the uh, description here says, trapped in a world of per- Perpetual fun and interspecies love ruled by a universal mother. A teenage boy crosses the forbidden frontier to save his childhood sweetheart as an absurd election and a deadly virus lead to chaos and violence. Uh, And Bill plays someone called the philanthropist. Uh, It also stars uh, Eric Roberts and J.P. Manu. It's a great, great cast. And one of the things we talked about Bill and I is his love of horror, why I got into that, why he's made a career in independent film rather than, you know, uh, the big blockbusters that you'll see what he still wants to do. And we actually get into to this idea of more, both morality and mortality. And that that's the reason why, a lot of horror storytellers are successful um, and that the most successful ones are sort of the ones who have accepted this, this uh, idea of mortality. And our chat's almost an hour long. And it doesn't feel nearly long enough. I feel like I need to have Bill back on and talk about so many other things that he has accomplished in his great, great career. But that's enough out of me right now. Here is my conversation with the great Bill Oberst jr bill oberst jr hello good afternoon thanks for being here today
1: thank you i'm glad to be here thank you for having me
0: how's uh how's quarantine treating you
1: well i think i last got dressed march the 3rd or something (laughs) like that no it's not strictly true i've been dressed somewhat since then but i spent a lot of time in sweatpants like everybody else how about with you
0: yeah same you know i'm just doing a lot of interviews doing a lot of writing you know um I don't. I don't have to wear pants every day, you know. I can, <laughs> you know, I can kind of sit around in my, you know, my fuzzy pajama bottoms or, or my house coat and, you know, w- with a cup of tea, wa- watching Monty Python. Like life is good, right?
1: Oh, that's the best. You know, yeah. Like pajamas and and bathrobes are just so great. In fact, having spent so much time in pajamas and bathrobes now. I'm just like, I'm questioning whether we really need the more formal clothes that we have. Why can't we just kind of live in these?
0: So do you, do you think that maybe, we, you know, we could see people going to the Oscars or the Globes or, you know, the Teen Choice Awards just dressed in pajamas?
1: I think that if just we get one or two beautiful A-listers to do it, then the rest of us can totally do it.
0: Or what? What if we have like the 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 pajama awards? So it's like you know it it could be <laughs> you know it could, it could be either maybe a horror movie festival or festivals for movies set at night. But you and it's at night and you you have to come dressed in your pajamas.
1: But can it be footy pajamas?
0: Oh yeah, totally. Like I have I okay. had one, I had one pair of pajamas. They're sort of fuzzy black, but they have the the Rolling Stone tongue logo on them. Yes. Right, like something like that. Right. Or, yes. Or like or like Bananas and Pyjamas. That that show that that was on many many years ago. Who
1: who could not love Bananas and Pyjamas? They're coming down the stairs. Right. Yeah. We need to make pajamas cool again for sure.
0: Make 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 pajamas great again, right? <laughs> I, I want that hat. I'm sure I'm, I'm I'm sure somebody somewhere can make that hat for you. I'm afraid to google it cuz it might
1: already exist. I'm just afraid <laughs> right. that it doesn't. <laughs>
0: Um, so, you are doing a, a promo for a trailer called uh, Great Land, I believe. Uh, yeah. Where you play the, I, I had a chance to, to watch the trailer, and I got to say, it's one of the coolest yet strangest things I think I've ever seen. Um, and what's interesting is that it's, it, it's sort of taking place during the, the, the virus. Uh, how, how, did yeah. you come, how did you come across this project?
1: Well, um, it was shot in early 2018, and I remember talking to Eric Roberts on set and saying, Eric, do you know what this movie's about? And Eric was like, I'm not really sure, because it was all very strange. It's set in a world where people, a future or alternative world, where people are only interested in distractions. Everybody's distracted, and while they're distracted, there are these extremely corrupt elites who are ruling this world and in the middle of all this there's a pandemic that occurs a virus and everybody's worried about how not you know how not to be infected by the virus and then there's this bizarre election taking place in the middle of it so when we shot this in 2018 you know we were just like oh oh this is odd but it really seems prescient now
0: you know but how does it how does that affect you as an actor you're 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 doing this project that is a bit secretive and you don't really know what it's about plot-wise or or, or character-wise. How does that affect you for trying to figure out where you fit in the story?
1: I quite like it because um, all I need to know is my character and my character's little world, and my little world in this case, I play uh, one of the ruling elites named the Philanthropist, and my little world was a bathtub filled with blood and in the bathtub are lotus flowers with my pet cockroaches on them. And so that's all I really needed to know was my little, my little world and my little part in it. It's kind of fun to do a film where you're not aware of the entire universe. I did a project called Take This Lollipop, um, which was Facebook's fastest growing app when it came out in 2012. It was a huge viral thing, but I played a hacker. and But when we filmed it, My computer monitor that I was looking at was it was green screened out, so I didn't know what I was going to be looking at. And the director didn't want to tell me because the project was kind of a secret. So he just, I said, you know, what is it I'm looking at? And he just kept saying, go dark, go dark, go dark. And so then when it came out, I found out that I'm on this app which is getting 100 million hits, and I'm going through people's Facebook profiles. So yeah, sometimes it's good not to know. But great, great land. um, I still don't know what the entire film will look like, but if, based on the trailer, it's very uh, very assaultive to the senses.
0: You've, um, you've made your career doing a lot of, you know, horror films or a lot of obscure in- indie projects uh, mm-hmm. rather, rather than, you know, these huge sort of mainstream, you know, multi-million dollar blockbusters. How... Yes. Early- how early on in your career did you decide, this is the route I want to go? Well,
1: I did theater for 14 years. Very happily, I was a touring stage actor, and that's all I did. and I was really happy. I did that on the East Coast. And then I just fell, literally by accident, into um, film and television and thought, well, I'll just see if I can get an agent in L.A. And I did. And then she said, you really need to be in L.A., so 12 years ago, I moved out there and Um, the roles that I was getting sent out for were like soccer dad, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't booking anything, nothing. I mean, I'd been successful on the stage, but nothing on film. But finally, a really nice casting agent said, may I be honest? And I said, yes, please. And she said, you, the way your face photographs on camera, you look like the soccer dad that's going to kill the team and eat them. And so she said also go dark, you should go dark. And I said, how dark? And she said, with your face, you can't go dark enough. So I started to gear myself towards horror movies, which I liked. I just didn't I've always loved them. I just didn't know I was scary. And I started working almost immediately once I made that my focus.
0: The uh the the fandom I think around horror films and in horror genre is unlike any other genre with the exception of maybe sci fi. As you yeah. start as you started to get you know, deeper and and more involved into this world in horror films. How quickly did you discover that there's like, there's a whole other culture associated with this?
1: Immediately, (laughs) Um, immediately, Dan, and very happily because I'm a misfit. I was a misfit kid. I was weird in every way you could be weird. And uh, I found that this world is composed of misfits too, but they're really some of the smartest, most well-adjusted and most decent people that you could ever want to meet. And I think it's because of people who really love horror films. Uh, they deal with death all the time in their imagination. They're very comfortable with the fact that we're mortal. And what makes for the real bitches in this world, the real people who are just the meanest people you'd ever want to meet, are the ones who don't want to admit that they will die. And the, I, I've always found that the kindest people are the ones who have made their peace with mortality. And that's what we do in horror. I mean, we, we play with death all the time.
0: You know, it, it seems like every actor, you know, even well-known actors early in their career do a horror film. Why has it become such a rite of passage, do you think, for, for a lot of actors?
1: It's, the, um, it's one of the most ubiquitous genres because it's one of the highest return on investment. In fact, if you're an investor, there are two genres you can put your money in where you're almost guaranteed to make your money back. One is horror, the other is family values. Those are your two genres and so uh, it's easier to get into a horror film when you're a young actor than it is you know just about any other genre because there's so damn many of them it's a universal language um but but i early on i mean i say early on i did about a hundred projects and you know people oh you know you'll be the next you know whoever it is and i had to decide whether i wanted to really go a strictly commercial route or whether i wanted to do projects that appeal to me what i tend to like is I like dark, I like non-linear. I like uh, stuff that leaves more questions than answers, none of which is very commercial. And um, so yeah, I decided that this is what I wanna do. As long as I can make a living, I don't need to be rich, but it's more important to me to kind of be a dark mirror than to be um, you know, the actor who does the cheap stuff that's very, very commercial. I don't mean cheap financially, but I mean cheap almost artistically, you know what I mean?
0: yeah, yeah, no for sure it, What I find so fascinating about horror films is that I would say within the last five ten, maybe even fifteen years, we're seeing this resurgence of the intelligent horror film, you know rather than just slashing and, and murdering there's there's yeah you know, a, a much more of a, you know, a, a social commentary behind it. Films like, you know, Us or, or Get Out. Uh, That's right. What, what can horror films say or, or, why, or why are horror films so effective at communicating certain ideas and ideals that maybe, you know, a straight drama film isn't or, 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 or a, a comedy film isn't?
1: Because there are only a few emotions that make a lot of chemicals flow through our bodies. Um, uh, sexual desire, which is why you have a lot of sex scenes in all genres of movies, because it, it revs the audience. Fear is another one. And anger is another one. Uh, if, you, if you invoke fear in people, suddenly every part of their brain is very alert. And you remember things more. You know, I mean, I guess, you know, I don't know about you, but I can remember when I was a kid, the things that really scared me. It's it sears into you those moments, and what we're really afraid of is is not existing anymore. So the good horror is the horror that gets into your head and deals with the things you're really afraid of at three a.m. And so I, you know, I do um, I did a movie in Mexico called Dis, which is art house horror, completely like uh, abstract and experimental. Um, but I loved it because it was the kind of stuff that's in your head at 3 a.m. And people who watched it said, I'm very disturbed after I watched this movie. I don't know how I feel. I was like, yes, (laughs) that's what cinema can do. So if you, I mean, you want want to make money, you have to find a balance between that and the 15th remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, somewhere in the middle.
0: You know, you you mentioned earlier how those who make horror or or those who are involved in horror seem to be the ones, you know, most comfortable with with this idea of mortality. And I think, you know, given the current situation that the world finds itself in, that's something that people are are thinking about a lot and and, and wrestling about a lot. Um, I'm just curious, what has gone through your mind in terms of mortality the, the last couple months in, in terms of what we're dealing with in society?
1: What is really important in my life, Dan? What am I doing? What am I doing with the limited amount of years, I hope, but perhaps even days that I have, and what really matters? And there's a path that I thought I was on, but when the pandemic hit, I really... I realized I hadn't really thought about it as deeply as I wanted to. And, and it's informed everything in my life since then. And I don't think I'll ever be the same. And I kind of hope. I mean, yeah, I mean, I want people to get their jobs back and, and everything. But I don't want us to be like we were, quote unquote, before. Because um, a lot of people that I talk to are saying variations of the same thing. I mean, have you found that to be true for you? That you've, it's made you question what is important in your life?
0: Yeah, well, for a while I was getting just really existential, you know, mm-hmm. um, sort of being like, what you know, what does it all mean, or you know, th- this, that, and the other. But yeah, you're right. the The last little while, it it sort of morphed into like, okay, you know, I'm I'm of a certain age, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm at a certain place in life where do I want to be? You know, what do I want to do? How do I want to see that manifest itself? And, you know, what can I do going forward to make that happen? You know, no, no no more of the old life, so to speak.
1: That's exactly right. And it's like casting off an old shell. It's great. I I mean, I, I I don't mean to say it's great. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sometime out of, you know, great, tragedies and hardships can come a lot of realization, but it certainly made me uh, think about what I'm doing professionally and my artistic choices. One of the first things I did was start a podcast called Gothic Goodnight, where I do a little short bedtime fiction. And um, I I wanted to soothe people as they went to sleep with darkness. Because when I was a kid, I used to read under the covers and I would read this really weird dark fiction and it, it calmed me and it helped me sleep. And so I wanted to do that, and and I did that. And the projects that have started to inquire, I've I'm trying to look more carefully at them and think, do, how does this fit into what I want to do and say, and the message I want to put out with whatever time I have left on the earth.
0: That's a well, good thing. You know, I was just going to say, how do you think all this, you know, lockdown reflection or whatever you want to call it, how has it? Affected you or or impacted you as an artist?
1: Yeah, it's uh, made me A create more myself. I'm writing a book and I've created the podcast Um, And B It's made me a lot more skeptical about Projects for the sake of projects People are more important to me now, because during this time, I reached out and reconnected with the uh, directors and producers and people in my business who I really, really care about and want to work with and whose, whose vision I admire. And those are the people that I want to work with. That's what's important to me now. Um, yeah, I don't really care if I ever walk another red carpet, but I do care that when I'm long dust, that something I've done might be able to make someone think about the human condition a little more deeply.
0: You, you mentioned writing, and I was looking at your filmography, and I, I saw that you are partially writing a, a, a film called Lord, Lord Bateman. What, what's that about?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a dream about a man who dreamed that he was turning into a red devil like the classic red devil, you know with the tail and the whole thing and the night after he has this dream he starts to see little red patches on his body and scaly patches and more and more and more of his body begins to change and he's actually turning into this red devil (laughs) and he has a friend who's a, a priest and The friend sits him down about midways through this transformation and says, this may be what you're destined to be. Um, You may have to just accept and be the monster that you were meant to be. And so that's the general outline of the thing. And I don't yet know how it will end, but I had the dream and it was so strong, I just had to develop it into a
0: story you know, speaking of filmography, I was on IMDb and it seems like you have about 20 or or, or 25 films in in various stages of of productions other than Great Land. How do you find time for all these different projects, especially in what seems like such a short amount of time?
1: Well, you know, it's the indie world, so I work all the time, um, knock on wood, because I have a particular look and have established sort of a particular niche um, if you want a creepy guy in my age group, um, I'm one of those guys. So it called on a lot, but I just, I like to work. I don't like to be idle. And you know how the business is. You can shoot a film and then it takes two years in post. So you have to always keep ahead of yourself. Like, a, like great land was shot in, uh, 2018. And it's just now preparing to come out this year.
0: I, uh, I, I, I love the tagline for it that says, coming sooner than the vaccine. Um, mm. And, and,
1: I, and I'll, I'll bet you that will be the case. You know, I just, Donna Yeshiva, who is the director of the film and who wrote it, she used to work for the United Nations, for UNESCO, and so she traveled a lot dealing with um, indigenous people, marginalized people. And I just wrote to her and I said, Donna, I hope you'll be doing some interviews on this movie too, because... She knows the vision for it and where this whole story world comes from. And I think it'd be very fascinating. But I, I, I grasp from talking with her and from the script that a large part of this story is about the vast numbers of people in the world who are ruled by a tiny elite. And I find that very, uh, very interesting and also very timely.
0: Well, you know, that's interesting because I, I'd written down a line that was in the trailer that says uh, support the altruists, um, mm. you know, and there's a lot of debate about, you know, just how how good and, and how beneficial uh, altruism is. Uh, yes. You know, when, when we come out of this, you know, whether or not the vaccine has been developed or, or, or when we all go back to work, how do you think that's going to change our, our mindset or our approach to to charity and, 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 and to giving, especially from a political perspective?
1: Well, I hope people will have more agency. I hope we'll realize what we can do ourselves and the protests that are going on as we've spoken over George Floyd's murder, I think have given people a renewed sense of agency. Like, yes, there's something that I myself can do. I, I don't have to wait for organizations or someone else to do it for me. Um, I mean, it's good to support uh, the organizations that are working toward what you want to happen in the world, but we need to also work for it ourselves. Nobody's nobody's going to do it for us. So that's one thing that I hope will come out of it. I, I want less tribalism. I want less grouping and more individual agency. Uh,
0: you you've stated that you you have a, an interest in in spiritualism and another great horror icon, Christopher Lee. Uh, was very interested in the occult. Do you do you do you see a correlation? Do you think between your 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 career in horror films and and, and your interest in the other world, so to speak?
1: I do, um, I do. I was interested in horror as a young boy very early on, and it's because it was transcendent. Horror took me to another world. Uh, my particular faith is Christianity and uh, Jesus' life, um, his sayings, the metaphor of his death, all of those things are also very transcendent. Um, And there's a lot of horror. I mean, uh, the the whole faith is built around a human body broken and mangled and bleeding and dying at the hands of other humans. Um, So yes, yeah, the answer is yes. If, if If you face death, I mean, you can have one or two reactions and all people who love horror face death you can say well nothing matters so i'll do what the hell i want or you can say what does this mean if it will in short order not exist and um, yeah i've taken the second course and that's where i've landed but i i i can certainly understand that uh christopher lee who did so many dark roles you know you deal with darkness all the time dan like people trivialize darkness and they'll say, Oh, well, you know, yeah, I know there's, there's some evil people in the... I'm like, no, dude, you don't understand when you do enough of these roles, you realize there is no other, there's no other. It's only us in potentiality. And if I have the potential to be Jeffrey Dahmer, why am I not? What, what are my boundaries that are holding me back from that if all of that is in me and i truly believe that it all is in all of us then it leads to a a, a sort of a grounding around in the basement which can lead you to uh to a spiritual path
0: you know on that note given that you know a lot of your at least professional life is enveloped in sort of this this darkness and the you know the the obscene how do you what what do you do to take your mind off that and, and 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 enjoy the the perhaps lighter aspects of life
1: i don't want to take my mind off of it because it's a part of life and by embracing it then i'm able to accept all of life if it make if. If it makes any sense, it's sort of a worldview where I don't want to say, well, let's just uh, look at teddy bears and pretend there's no evil. I want to do both. I want to accept that there is evil. But at the moment, there's a really cute puppy right in front of me. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's not looking at happy things to take your mind off of it, but it's being aware that at any minute, all of this could end. At any minute, all of this could turn really bad. So embracing and accepting all of life it's why when we talk to people who are terminally ill or who have friends or relatives who are terminally ill we don't know what the hell to say because we're afraid to just accept it and just be with them and i think that's the way to be with the world is just to be with the world and whatever is happening to it and not wish that it were another way
0: i uh I, I I read somewhere that you have these um these killer boots that have appeared in in a lot of your films what what's the yeah. story behind what's the story behind those
1: I love my killer boots. I have another pair now since that was written. I've got a pair of combat boots. Well, for creepy guys you know the the, people, the malevolent people that I play often they'll want them in some type of formidable footwear. I don't really get that but Yeah, commonly. They'll put you in like a white beater, a bloody white beater, but then they always want the shoes to be really powerful and cool. So (laughs) it's a pair of boots that I uh, were dear to me because I like to go wilderness camping and I had hiked up a lot of mountains with them. And I brought them to a shoot once um, because sometimes they'll let you use your own shoes. They'll give you the rest of the stuff, but they're really happy if they don't have to do shoes. I say, what about these? oh hell, those are great so I started to get a little fake blood on them and I thought you know what I'm just gonna let it soak in and then use them again so whenever I bring those boots out people are like oh yeah you definitely got to use those on, on the last shoot I did a uh, movie in Florida called painkiller that'll be out into uh, this year uh, they gave me my movie boots which were a nice pair of Harley Davidson riding boots so those will be my new killer boots
0: You know, with 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 all the work that you've done in in horror and offbeat projects, have you ever had a desire to do like a like a straight drama film, or or maybe like a just like a a slapstick comedy at all?
1: I have. um, I've done some comedy within my genre, Um, straight face comedy. You know, I'm the straight man. I have done historical roles, which I really enjoyed. I did two Hallmark movies, where I played uh, Amish father. But necessarily because of my look, my character is always going to kind of be rough edged. And the archetype for that is that, if, archetype is that if you're rough on the outside, you must be rough on the inside. So the answer is yes, I have the desire, but I realize that I can only operate within a certain world um, on camera because of the way the camera sees me. And that's okay. Not everybody can do everything, but I try to do what I do really well.
0: What do you think that, that says about, you know, society at large that, that we look at somebody, you know, or we meet somebody and because of how they look, we, we say, Oh, well then they must be like this or, or, or yes. they, they must act a certain way. What, yep. what is, what does that say about society at large that, that are, that, that's automatically our thought process?
1: I think it's probably always been the case because, um, when you test people, you can find that there are certain facial characteristics for both animals and humans. I mean, when humans look at animals and humans, there are facial characteristics, um, asymmetry, the distance of the eyes, narrowness of the eyes, uh, all these sort of things that can make people either say, awe or oh. And my face has almost all of the serpent-like qualities that make people say, oh. So I suspect that it's more of a just a hardwired human nature thing. And uh, we have, it's why we tell stories around the campfire. We have archetypes and this is the archetype that I fit. And it's a tough sell for a movie to ask people to look at a face like mine and say, oh yeah, he's a really nice, happy, good, lucky guy. Cause they just know that I'm going to kill them.
0: Do you, do you consider yourself a horror icon? Because there, there are definitely fans out there that do and, are are you okay with having that moniker bestowed upon you?
1: Well, I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't. I don't know what it right. is. It's one of those, you know, words. It's, it's fine. I mean, I love what I do, and I don't mind being referred to in any way. Um, yeah, it's okay. I mean, sure, but I, I, but I don't really know, you know, what it means. If it's a term of affection, then that's good you horror horror royalty is something else uh, because to me horror royalty is um fits price and boris karloff and uh christopher lee and people like that you know that's so you 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 demirror if people put you in that category <laughs> but uh sure to be a horror icon that's good
0: well you know just just uh along those lines i think another person you could include is, is lon cheney um and You've won many awards, but I know one award that you've won was the, I think I have this right, the Lon Chaney Award for Outstanding Achievement in Independent Horror Films. Yes,
1: and Lon Chaney's great-grandson, Ron Chaney, presented that, and it was a highlight of my life, Dan, because <laughs> he—he's Chaney's a big hero of mine, and I, I almost cried. I really made a fool of myself when I received that award, because they didn't tell me but it was a surprise. And there's Ron Chaney. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It was yeah, it was my ultimate fanboy moment. I think I'm prouder of that than I would be of an Oscar.
0: You know, and, and just what was it like when you actually got to meet Ron Chaney and, and here he is handing you an award and knowing who his, <laughs> his pedigree is?
1: It was incredible. When he said, thank you for... Keeping horror alive. Thank you for respecting the genre. yeah, it's it was beyond awesome. It's the kind of thing you can only experience when you meet someone who's connected with a childhood hero. It was that way. I was really twelve years old again. and and since then, you know I met Sarah Karloff, Boris's daughter, and Victoria Price, Spencer Price's daughter, and Beta Lagosi's son. <laughs> it's always so cool to talk with them and realize, oh my gosh, you know, your your parent was one of the royalty.
0: I another project I wanted to ask you about was you got to guest star in one of my favorite TV shows uh, in 2014, Criminal Minds, uh, yeah. where you played the unsub. And not only that, you got to work with other great horror actors, including Tobin Bell um, and Adrian Barbeau. Uh, yes. What was the the Criminal Minds experience like for you?
1: It was fantastic. Um, I got invited onto the show because the director of that episode, Matthew Craig Gubler, he knew my work from horror films because he's a horror fan. And the episode was written by Breen Frazier, a producer who also is a horror fan. So what they wanted to do is an homage to horror films. And that's where they got me and Tobin and Adrian. And it was absolute joy. The makeup artist for my character, uh, was also Quentin Tarantino's main makeup artist. In fact, he played the groom in the first Kill Bill. And he did all of Tarantino's makeup. He's a big Lon Chaney fan. So we wanted to make the character an homage to Lon Chaney. And we made him a sad, sort of wounded monster. It it was a beautiful experience. And I'll tell you that Adrienne Barbeau is a hell of a good actress. I had barbed wire around her neck. For take after take after take, and she cried real tears every time. She was fantastic.
0: Do you do you, do you like the television experience? Because it can be, it's very different than film. And I, I I've read stories about how some film actors can't adapt can't adapt to its its schedule. But what what was uh, just the the whole you know television shooting schedule? How how did you find that?
1: It was great. Um, it was really great because you have to have your stuff together because you're not going to get a lot of opportunity to do things twice. You need to understand the shot. And so being in 100 indie films before I did that gave me really good experience. I, I, like, I like to walk onto a set and have done my homework so much that I can see, okay, I understand why the key light is there. I understand what The dynamics of the frame are, I understand what role I'm playing in this composition. And then as a final check, if you're friendly with the camera crew, they'll help you. There was a shot in Criminal Minds where I was supposed to lean forward into the light and have the light only on one eye. And um, we wouldn't have but one chance to do it. And the first AC, the camera operator helped me a lot with his little finger, his pinky, which I could see out of the periphery of my eye telling me where to stop. So it's, it's all a team effort. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't mind shooting relatively fast and shooting a lot of pages a day because that's what we do in indies.
0: The, 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 the actors who portray the, the killers in In Criminal Minds often get to just be really twisted uh, and, and, and sadistic. Uh, what was your favorite, I don't know, maybe the, the, the favorite scene that you shot or, or, or your favorite aspect of, of getting to explore that, that realm?
1: My gold standard, Dan, is the Wounded Monster. Uh, the original karloff Frankenstein monster fits into this, and a lot of the early monsters, the, the monsters that are um, society has created because of the way we treat people who are different. And so this guy was—he was a product of incest, and because of his, he was physically different. Then he was treated as a monster, and he became one. And my favorite moment was when he had captured his birth mother and uh, had was threatening to kill her in the cabin and she says uh, she's relating cheerfully how she abandoned him completely and he says did you ever he says did you ever kiss me and she says no he says did you ever hold me and she says no and he says did you ever even think about me and her line back is I tried not to and my character kisses her on the head and and that's my favorite to me, that's, that's the perfect kind of monster. Not one that's going to go, I'll kill you. But one that lets you understand your own culpability in creating the monster. Not for spite, just because you need to understand that the way you treat people has consequences. God, I love that.
0: Uh, you, you've talked a lot about exploring the dark. Uh, and I know in Greatland, you get to work with... Uh... Another actor who, who's known for uh, a lot of dark roles, and, and that's Eric Roberts. Um, yes. What was it like going toe-to-toe with him?
1: Eric is always wonderful to work with. He's the consummate pro. And I've done three or four films with him, and each time he's perfect. He's perfect in his close-up. I mean, he, he truly is a craftsman. Um, and he's, he's quite amazing. Really, I really always love... Coming to a set and finding that he's there.
0: Uh, and I know uh, one of the films on your on your thing that's just been announced uh, is called Blood Angel, where you get to play Icarus. Uh, and the reason I bring it up is that later today I'm I'm interviewing one of your co-stars from that film, um, Marshall Hilton. Uh, yes. Has has now on IMDb it just has announced. Have you have you started that project yet or?
1: No, no, that one's in uh, pre-production. And you know how pre-production is, it can be like a pre-purgatory.
0: Yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely been there. I've had, I've had things in pre-production for like five years. I don't know. Right? But
1: people have, uh, generally people have no idea how long it takes for a movie to happen. Uh, you know, how long it takes. And then once you shoot it, it takes an additional year to edit it and get it together. And uh, yeah, it's a long road.
0: You know we 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 mentioned Lord Bateman um that you know you sort of had the idea for and I know you uh you've written uh I think one other one other special that I that I saw have you ever thought about um getting behind the camera and and maybe directing anything
1: yeah I think about it every time I watch directors work and then I think Billy don't kid yourself (laughs) just because you watch it done doesn't mean you know how it's done I've thought about it, but I don't flatter myself that I could. I try to learn from them. I try to I try to learn from them. Um, I've executive produced some, um, and I've done some line producing, helped out some friends. and uh, But, you know, dabbling's not the same as being a professional in it. I wouldn't expect them to come on my side of the camera and know exactly what to do. Yeah, I I, res- I respect the fact that, you know, these the good directors have done a couple hundred projects, and they know their stuff. They know stuff I could never know.
0: How, how do you, how do you enjoy the, the, the producing aspect?
1: I like it. Uh, I like it very much. Um, I am kind of a hermit by nature and I like analyzing things and putting things together. I like making plans and I like keeping schedules and yeah, I like, I like the hierarchy of a film set very much. The fact that every department has its job and you know, department heads report to other people and, uh, I like that very much. I like it as a producer. I also like it as an actor because then it gives me, like I think of myself, how many customers do I have on this set? Uh, I have every department is my customer. The director is my customer. The camera department is my customer, and I need to please all of these customers so that together, we can please the ultimate customer, which is the viewer. I, I really like that.
0: What You know, what's interesting, You you've talked a lot about how how your 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 look kind of led you in, in into a life of, of horror films and it strikes me that that is exactly like one other actor that i know that's a horror icon and that's uh doug jones who people mm-hmm. were, uh, with his work from del toro have you thought about you two ever working together because i think it would be a fantastic double act
1: <laughs> it's funny you say that because doug and i did um there was a web series called Hello Kitty, and then it was turned into Hello Kitty, the movie. And we played priest in that um, priest who came to exercise a cat, a demon-possessed cat. And they put, the, they put our bit together in the movie. I love working with Doug. <laughs> he's, he's so droll and so dry. And we both played it absolutely straight. Um, I would like to do more with him. I, I, I like Doug very much. Gosh, I respect the heck out of him. And he's such a sweet person.
0: What, uh, what about horror directors that you you still want to work with? Uh, I know you. I, you know, I think I know you did uh, Three from Hell, but would you would you say yes to Del Toro if he called?
1: Uh, well, it's like saying if there was a cupcake, would I take a nibble? Yes, who wouldn't? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who wouldn't? But. With the great directors like that, you can't really ingratiate yourself into their world. I mean, there are PR people who say, oh, we need to get you at this party where you can meet. I don't ever want to be that person who's trying to buttonhole people. I just try to do the best work I can in whatever project I do. And the people who connect with it will come to you. And it happens. I mean, it happened with Rob Zombie. my agent contacted me and said, Rob Zombie wants you to be in his film, and he'll decide what role there is, you know, what, what it is, you can just say yes or no. Everybody works for scale. And I was like, yes. So then he writes something around you, but that's because he was familiar with my work. Um, Ryan Murphy did the same thing for Scream Queens. My agent said, Ryan Murphy wants you for a bit in Scream Queens. And You know do you want to do it or not and so yes so yeah it happens and i just like to let it happen organically and you know not try to shove myself in people's face but just do the good work Uh,
0: uh, another film that i want to bring up just because i it said it was completed is uh good thing the devils do uh yeah and you get to work with uh uh, a man, who made Jay- uh, Jason, for many of the films, uh, Kane Hodder, who's, who's another great uh, horror actor. Uh, wh- what can you tell us about that film?
1: Kane is fantastic um, in this movie, and Kane is a really, really strong dramatic actor. I talked to him on set quite a bit about. It. I said, "Kane, you, you need to do some straight drama." I mean, he's always going to be sort of a tough guy, but he's a great actor. So this movie is about a, um, a criminal couple of criminals and uh, a daughter and they are coming to somebody's house to do bad things but they get the wrong house and it's Halloween night and in this wrong house that they picked there's something very evil uh, and everything goes wrong from their choice of the wrong house they literally get the wrong address on Halloween night and it goes from there Um, I I, I think it's actually going to be pretty good. Linnea Quigley's in that, too. And she's really good in it. A lot of blood. A lot of blood in that movie. Now that you mention it, Dan, it makes me remember. Of course, it's always cold when you're shooting these movies. It was freezing. I think it was like January or something. And I remember blood just being like ladled on me. And hearing the director say, yeah, just blood him up blood him up we need more blood <laughs> the blood was almost freezing yeah that's a, that's a visceral memory so i know there'll be a lot of blood in it you you,
0: you know it's funny you, you mentioned the blood and and you mentioned the cold weather and it strikes me that there's always certain you know horror tropes uh like the the last horror film i saw becky you know it's about these neo nazis that kidnap a family at their cabin in the woods you know there's mm-hmm. There's the trope of of, of the final girl uh, in, in, in a lot of slasher films. Why do you think these these tropes work and, and what makes a good horror film?
1: I think they work for the same reason that when we tell stories around the campfire, they always have some of the same elements. They're human archetypes and um, we will always be interested in my particular story that gets reenacted over and over and over again in movies I'm in mean, is Beauty and the Beast. And I'm, a, I'm the beast, and there's always a beautiful virginal girl somewhere in the movie. And Beauty and the Beast, they interact over and over and over again. People love to hear those stories. What makes for a good horror film is something that, the same thing that makes for a good uh, Grimm's fairy tale, something that's so universal that if you turn down the sound, you'd still understand it. That's a really, really good horror film. But to do that, you can't be playing around with, oh, there's a slasher and there's kids having sex. I mean, that's one level of horror. But real horror, the imagery is so strong and so nightmarish. I don't just mean bloody. I just mean so surreal and nightmarish that if you turn down the sound, you could understand it. That's what makes for a great horror movie.
0: Do you think that we're living in a horror film right now with everything? Yes. That's happening?
1: Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, we are. I mean, we have all the elements of a, a, in a horror film, the characters don't know what's going to happen next. They're afraid of something that they can't see. We have all of those elements. Um, We have all of the anxiety. Yeah, that's very, that's a very astute observation. I haven't heard anybody else say that, Dan, but you're right. We
0: are living in a horror film, aren't we? How, how do we get out of it? Who, who survives in the end?
1: Well, there, maybe our tropes don't hold true, you know, maybe it doesn't have to end the way the movie's in. Maybe we can decide that it ends another way. that's that's very interesting. that's a whole show into itself, right. What do you think
0: i mean there's i think there's there's a lot of possible outcomes, you know, but I think it'll I think it'll be for a while uh the proletariat versus the oligarchs
1: yes and the, and, and 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 returning to great land that's that film that is the proletariat versus the oligarch we are my character is a a very powerful elite pedophile who lives on an island called redemption island and sw- and takes baths in blood i mean you know our story's not that extreme but yeah definitely proletariat versus oligarchs, and there's always going to be oligarchs right
0: yeah do you, do you think films not not necessarily horror films but films in general can bring about real social change
1: Yes, yes, I do if they're done honestly and and it's happened before in the past, both for better and for worse, you know films can reinforce um the prejudices that we already have, or they can kind of break us out of them. The unfortunate thing is that I think we are, or at least we were before this pandemic, far less inclined than previous generations to seek out works that we haven't heard of. We had become, I don't know if we still are, but we had become a almost exclusively celebrity-based culture. And so the most damning thing you could say about a project is I never heard of it. How many times have I heard that? I never heard of it, as if the fact that I've never heard of a thing makes it of no value and no worth, because how could a thing have any value if I haven't heard of it? It's a very selfish, arrogant um, point of view. Or I haven't heard of it. Oh, well, Lady Gaga's, oh, I've heard of her. So therefore, the thing now has worth, because I've heard of the thing that's in. It's it's this very weird, you know, C.S. Lewis talked about four kinds of loves, uh, stodgy, filier, eros, agape. And filier is the lowest kind of love. That's just love of the familiar. I Because I know a thing and I'm familiar with it, I love it. And and that's what celebrity worship is. It's, it's a low level of love. Oh, I've heard of that. Therefore, it must have value. So, yeah, I think that films can change us, but we have to be open to exploring art that we've never heard of by people we've never heard of.
0: So how do you think then art and and entertainment and culture will be, do you think our our appreciation for it will change once we come out the other side of this pandemic?
1: I do because we've seen each other's um, bedrooms and um, more commonly bookshelves now. I think the experience of seeing all the people who previously were only seen beautifully lit on sound stages, sitting poorly lit on a zoom frame in front of their bookcases. I think that changed us. Um, At least it has for me. It's certainly driven home. The fact that, you know, we're all the same. We all have bathrooms. We all have beds. We all, we're all, we're, we're really all the same. And I think the more that we realize we're the same, the better. So I hope, but again, it will make us more open to, if if we're all the same, then people who create art, which may not be as polished as we previously had thought, we might be more open to it, um, and we might be more open to receiving art that's not made just because it will be marketable, right. and that's true for films too.
0: Is do you think that will ultimately bring us? closer together as a society?
1: Yes, I think it will make us more empathetic. I think that the more we realize that all, see, okay, so here's the thing, Dan, like I'm a big Disney fan, I'm a huge Disney fan, but I'm well aware that all of the entire Disney empire, all of it, it was created by people. And I have lots of books by the Imagineers who actually did the work. Uh, you know, Ray Bradbury, who I play on stage, he helped design Spaceship Earth. It, it was all done because somebody got a pencil and a paper and sat down and said, I have an idea. And I, I think we had lost sight of that in film because everything got so slick and so produced that having to be more raw and seeing things on Zoom the way we have, that we realize everything begins with just an ordinary human, just like us, a mortal, saying, hey, I have an idea. So I think the more, le- the more we see things that are not particularly polished, but that have a strong message, the better, because it makes us understand that we're all the same. And therefore, I could do that. I can't be Walt Disney, but I can have ideas and I can try to get them out there. It's empowering.
0: You have, by IMDb's count, 190 credits to your name. What's one type of film or, or, or one type of character that you still want to do?
1: Um, the character of the wounded monster, and I rarely get to do that because nobody writes it. And that's the, the Loncini type character. That's the character that was in Criminal Minds. There's a a director named Mark Savage, wonderful director. I got a movie with him called Painkiller coming out this fall, but Mark has a script called Circus of Dread, which is set in an old time circus sideshow with what we used to call freaks. I want to do that desperately. The character that I would most like to play that I haven't is Eric from Phantom of the Opera as he was written in the original Gaston LaRue novel, which has never been done. And Eric, in that book, was born that way. Nobody threw acid in his face. He wasn't a handsome guy who just had one side of his face deformed. He was a true physical monster. He was so repulsive physically that his parents sold him to a traveling sideshow, And that's how he became the monster that we knew and feared. So any variation of that Phantom of the Opera story would be in the public domain. It doesn't have to be in an opera. It could be set anywhere. Uh, could be reimagined, but that particular character I yearn to do. Um, and I, I have read that the original 1925 silent version of Phantom, which is the first one done, included those elements, and it ended with Lon Chaney's Phantom dying of a broken heart at the organ. But audiences hated it because the monster was too sympathetic, and they couldn't take it. So they reshot it and turned him into a leering monster. But nobody's ever done the real wounded monster.
0: Right. Well, uh, among other films, uh, you have Great Land coming out. Does it have a release date yet? Do you know?
1: No, I just checked with the director, Donna, about that. And she said later this year, um, they're not sure the exact date, but later this year, the reaction to the trailer has been pretty tremendous. And I would encourage your listeners, if you want to check it out, just Google Great Land trailer and have your senses assaulted.
0: Yes, I can. I can. I can put it in the show notes. So we have Greatland coming out, and then you mentioned Painkiller, uh, and you have that coming out uh, this fall. Yeah,
1: Painkiller will be out this fall too. That's a uh, I play a, a man whose daughter has died of opioid overdose, and nobody's doing anything about it. And so my character becomes a vigilante.
0: We look forward to seeing both of those films, uh, as well as the numerous others you you have in the works. Bill Oberst Jr. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon.
1: Dan, thank you, and thank you for all you do for indie artists. It's really appreciated.
0: Well, thank you very much. Uh, You have a good day now. Be be safe in quarantine.
1: You too. All right. Bye. bye.
0: That was my conversation with the great Bill Oberst Jr. Check out the trailer for his new film Great Land. Uh, The link will be in the show notes and stay tuned for a host of many other films bill is always working on so many different projects at the same time and there's several good ones coming out you can always go to his imdb page to check out all he is working on programming note uh, i'm gonna have Probably three shows up this week and three shows next week. I've uh, just been doing a lot of interviews and uh, some are a little more time sensitive. So I'm, I'm going to try to squeeze a, a few more in uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Thursday, my guest will be great Canadian actor Reese Thompson, who talks about his new film, The Fox Hunter. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Ciao for now.
1: like to have a lot of sex